Hey everyone and welcome to the show. Today I am excited. I have Ms. Kim Gillen out of Billings who is running for Montana's lone congressional seat, which Denny Reberg has abandoned. Uh, welcome. Welcome. It's great to be here, and it's a great morning in Helena. Sun is shining, and after that rainfall last night, I think that uh, hopefully today it'll be a little bit less smoky. <laughs> That'd be nice. Idaho, we're looking at you. Um, so, uh, basic premise of the show, we find out why people are in politics, and you actually are from Billings, and you're from a traditionally Republican district, is that right? Correct, that is. So, how did you get started? Well, interesting, it all had to do with that being involved in community issues that were not partisan at all. Uh, bef I, have, I had two young children. Uh, well, I still have two children, but they're no longer young. And uh, <laughs> when I, I was in the Billings community, uh, there were a couple of issues. I was very much uh, par into parks and recreation, and there was a, an area that was we all thought was a park and uh, was going to be developed. And so this wasn't a NIMBY issue. It wasn't a not in my backyard. It was a nature preserve. And mm. the neighbors started talking about it, the local gas station. And soon we organized a couple of meetings to let the city council folks know that this 20-acre-plus, uh, uh, we'd like to have it preserved into a natural park, didn't need any improvements. And uh, that was my first foray in Billings. And I was surprised to find that the issue had traction. And after somewhat of a letter-writing campaign, uh, we were able to uh, have the area maintained that way. I share that because it was not a political issue at all, although I had been previously, when I was younger, worked on a lot of campaigns as a volunteer. Mm. Fast forward a couple of years, my children are in kindergarten. I was very involved with the PTA, and uh, I'm a little bit of an atypical PTA mom because my background is in strategic planning and business planning. So I brought that perspective to every bake sale that we had. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we went beyond bake sales, actually. We went to uh, selling uh, gift wrap, which was had a higher profit margin, which is typical of a consultant to look at that. And our goal was to provide... Uh, classroom resources that wouldn't fit within the existing school funding budget, not only locally but statewide. After a year of doing that, uh, we began to realize, I was talking with other people, that there was a, a larger problem, and that was uh, the school's funding, the state funding, I'm sorry, for schools. And so, as I jokingly like to say, instead of organizing another bake sale, I decided to run for the open uh, legislative seat. And uh, that's really what uh, got my start. Uh, and when I found out that the area was Republican, or certainly Republican-leaning, it didn't uh, discourage me. I thought, we have a couple of common issues here that people are concerned about. I knew that they were concerned about parks and recreation. And now I knew from my PTA work and my involvement in the school that folks were concerned about the quality of education their children were getting. And I just went out and knocked on every door in the neighborhood and focused on the education issue. And lo and behold, uh, come 1996, I was elected. And uh, it was a surprise to a lot of uh, party people, Democratic Party people, because they never considered this seat as really open. And uh, what was great about it is that I went to Helena with this incredible enthusiasm for an issue that really, I think, cut across uh, a lot of political viewpoints. 
and that's how I kind of got my start. And then I came to Helena and was quickly on education committee and found out I was really one of few people on the committee who actually had children in school. <laughs> you would think that would be a prereq. <laughs> right, and it wasn't. Uh, with all due respect to my colleagues, there were a lot of teachers, but a lot of folks who just uh, perhaps were not as aware of the challenges that uh, were facing schools and that funding was not the total uh, solve uh, way to solve it, but certainly a large part of the problem. And as we won't go through it, there was a lot of challenges with school funding before the lawsuit and then the changes in the definition of quality education. So, right. so you started in the legislature in 96, and you've been there ever since? Or? My first session was 1997 okay. and spent eight years in the House and then eight years in the Senate. Uh, okay. And... Uh, and this, I'm in the last couple of months of my very last term. Ah, okay. Um, so how was it running that first campaign? I mean, it, it's, it's one of the things that it fascinates me when people decide that they're going to run for office because I, I know that nobody has any clue what they're running into when they're going to run for office. But then now that you've got this distance from it and you look back at that campaign and now you're running your first, I guess, I, is it technically a nationwide? I mean, it's a statewide post, but it's for an, a national office. You know, what's the... The similarities and differences between them, um, how much of it carries forward? I think that that campaign experience has proven to be invaluable to me, not just in my political career or whatever, we're citizen politicians, but uh, just in any way I approach uh, problem solving. And also has given me uh, this attitude that really uh, the power of one and that anything can be done, can be changed, can be passed or whatever. Uh, in that first campaign, 99% of it was voter contact, uh, going to the doors, following up all of my door conversations with uh, postcards, uh, focusing on really listening to people to find out what besides education were, were key issues. Uh, education was easy because we do have uh, six elementary, a junior high, and a high school, so that was kind of a given kids running around all the place. And I think the other thing is is that when you talk with people in uh, not in a forum or a debate, uh, they like to know that you're one of them, that you care not only care about their issues, you have you're just an everyday person. You're not a slick politician. And so part of it was getting to know folks and also working uh, to follow up their questions and perhaps restore their confidence that their opinions actually mattered in any kind of political or policy debate. Right. And so that was uh, part of the campaign. And then the follow-up was during the legislative session. My first session was 1997, where I was probably the only legislator who brought a laptop and uh, did a weekly email back to their constituents. Oh, wow. And uh, actually, uh, I think the New York Times wrote an article on it. They had someone looking at the Internet and how it was going to change the face of uh, democracy. And uh, I didn't do it in any contrived way. I thought, well, what better way to uh, get people engaged in the issues uh, would be to email them. My counterparts that represent rural areas, they get to do weekly columns in the weekly newspapers. But you really don't have that luxury when you are part of a larger delegation. So. Right. And Billings being the largest city, I'm sure you had a lot of people that you were working with. 
Exactly. On my campaign, it was primarily myself uh, and my family putting up signs, finding sign locations, uh, all of that day-to-day -day work. But I, I actually probably did most of it myself, not to take away from my family, but uh, having been a campaigner in the true sense of the words and being responsible for everything, I think it is helpful for me now in the statewide race because uh, I know all of the little steps and the little pieces that go into any type of campaign. Of course, this is exponentially larger. But uh, to me, in this campaign, voter contact is still very important. And I, I like to call it retail politics. You go out, you shake someone's hand, and it's not necessarily me jabbering to them. It's me listening to them. Right. And Montanans are an interesting breed when it comes to our politicians because we do a lot of the whole, um, if they're not going to listen to me, they're not real. Um, which I think works both for and against politicians. Um, we have some crazy people in the state. I'm related to half of them, so I don't have a problem with saying that. Um, so when you decided to run last year, did you realize the field was going to be as big as it was? Because I, when I first met you, it was at the forum in Missoula. Correct. And, uh, oh, sorry, everybody, we're by the hospital, and I have the door open, and so you'll hear the uh, ER periodically pick people up to then send them to benefits, apparently. Um, <laughs> uh, did you know that you were going to get such a big field? Because I know that um, Frankie had announced in the session, and that was the only person that I heard of, and then there were all of a sudden, like, nine people. <laughs> I think uh, it did surprise me how many people jumped in. However, it is an open seat. I didn't... That provides me an opportunity to share with folks why didn't I... Uh, announced during the legislative session. Yeah, yeah. And I think it relates back to uh, consistently what I've tried to do for my constituents back in the Billings Heights is that uh, focus on their issues, of course, their issues and how they play into statewide. And really felt that it, were I to announce during the Senate session, our session, it would have sent a signal that I didn't want to that I didn't want to send. That I'm really more concerned about the next step in my uh, policymaking life, as opposed to the challenges that were confronting me right then in the legislative session. It was also a contentious legislative session. I was the whip. <laughs> uh, I had my hands full, and I really felt that I needed to be able to get up and speak for the then and now and not worry or even be concerned about how that would play later on when I, if I was going to run. So when did you decide to run? Well, I had been asked to run in prior uh, election cycles when uh, Reberg was still there. So it, it's an idea that always been in the back of my head. Okay. I got very serious about it probably uh, in April. I wanted to talk to my family. I have uh, two young adult children, and I wanted to speak with them about uh, how they felt about it. If they had said no, even though they're not in the state right now, it would have given me pause for concern because I knew, as I jokingly tell people, it would have been a year of living dangerously. I mean, it basically <laughs> is, is uh, what you do. I had to do some other things to check uh, to make sure that... Uh, my, I work for Montana State University Billings. I've always been very careful about separating issues uh, between politics and my work, my professional work, and I had to run it by them. And then I wanted to kick some tires and get uh, an idea of the lay of the land. I will be honest with you, at that point I thought that uh, fellow uh, Representative Wilmer would probably be the only person, and it wasn't until folks start jumping in. 
your question, it did surprise me that people uh, jumped in. Uh, I don't begrudge them that at all. I think it uh, it made it more difficult, certainly. And but in the, now, it, I'm so glad that we did all that work. We had many forums. Uh, we I, I have been aggressively campaigning far before the primary, and so I was able to hit the ground running post-primary, actually, literally eight hours after they declared the race that I, I won the primary. We were uh, in full speed ahead. So uh, um, It's interesting because I don't think I've seen a better panel of candidates put together by the Democrats or the Republicans um, in a long time in Montana. It was very interesting that a bunch of people came out of the woodwork for it, and uh, it was rather impressive. I agree. I learned a lot from the other uh, folks that I, I won't say ran against, ran with. And now, immediately after the primary, they've all jumped on board because they know this is not just a, an opportunity because of the open seat, but also in the broader scope of what's happening nationally, that we need to send someone to that U.S. House seat that's really going to be uh, a strong and effective voice for everyday Montana families. Yeah, and um, I actually, was it this last week, I saw a picture on Facebook with you and Diane Smith. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes. <laughs> Diane was on the show. She was one of the first people from the forum that agreed to be on the show, and uh, she was delightful. And um, it was really cool to have you know, just from the citizen's perspective, because I'm just a voter and I just kind of, you know, I like being involved in politics and I hate politicians. <laughs> and it was very interesting to see all of these great people step up and do this. And it's been really cool to see all of them um, not disappear into the woodwork again. They, they seem to all have stepped forward and um, they want to be involved. They want to make a difference. I think it's cool. And anyway. I think that's great. If I could just add one point is that I'm not a career politician. As you know from having a front row seat in Helena, we are a citizen legislature, and we uh, financially, the reality is, is that you uh, are only compensated during the session every other year. So uh, right. it, I think it's very difficult uh, to call uh, me a career politician. It's more like being a volunteer with, that, with some compensation, although it's, it's very, very important. And uh, certainly... That legislative experience, I think, is going to be critical to uh, being effective in the U.S. House. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm very, uh, <laughs> that's a great experience that will allow me, as I did in the Montana legislature, break through the gridlock. Yeah. Um, I actually, I think I got an email two days ago from your campaign about the vacation that they're going on. And I was, I'm thinking, you know, we only have our session once for 90 days every other year. And they worked about the same at the house in Washington, D.C., but we just let everybody know that that's what happens. <laughs> happens. Hmm. So, um, uh, where was I going to go? This is this is why I'm on a podcast instead of on the radio, because I have a brain cramp every once in a while. <laughs> I forget what I'm doing. Um, with everything that you've done in the legislature, you were the whip in this last session. What was it like? Because you've had this history, and obviously there have been really good sessions that you've dealt with um, under both Republican and Democratic governors. And what was it like this last session? And the reason that I ask is because this last session drove me batty. Um, we saw so many bad bills and so many contentious issues and so many times when the legislature just you know went off the rails. And what was it like for you being on the inside knowing that this was your last... Uh, term to see this happen? That's a, a great question and particularly relevant to what's going on in Washington right now. 
in the, during the 2011 session, we still had our work to do. There's an, you know, you have to figure out the budget. There were critical issues about the economy that we needed to address. We needed to address the issue of jobs and we had the infrastructure bill. We had parts of our state that were booming and other parts of our state that had double digit unemployment. The good news was is uh, we knew, and I was uh, chair of the Interim Revenue and Transportation Committee, that uh, financially that Montana was still in the black. And so the sky was not falling when we started the 2011 session. <laughs> not that you did, if you were listening to the Tea Party years, the sky had already fallen. So. Exactly. And so that was probably the biggest challenge is because we still needed to get our work done. And... We were being distracted every day by these extreme and often unconstitutional bills that were popping up and coming up through the legislative process. Most or many of them started on the House side, and of course we were on the Senate, but we knew that they would eventually come over to us because of the, the split in the House in terms of uh, political membership. And I'm kind of a no-nonsense person. Anyone who spends any time with me knows that <laughs> I enjoy chatting, but then I want to get down to business. And that's how I felt about the 2011 session, is that, okay, let's get down to business. We really don't need to talk about nullifying this or succeeding from the union. That's not what my constituents send me up to Helena to do. They send me to be on tax committee, get a balanced budget, uh, take care of education funding, do the things that basically uh, keep Montana churning. You know, they don't have time or they don't have the luxury with few exceptions to worry about sort of more esoteric topics. And I, I, I don't in any way mean to diminish those, but Succeeding from the union is just simply that it's not going to happen or returning to the gold standard is not a priority in the state of Montana where we have one of the highest percentage of people who work two or more jobs. People were really concerned about the economy and the jobs and that uh, Montana would be able to continue to operate in the black. Mm -hmm. So after the first couple of weeks, it was like, what? Are, how long are we going to let this go on? Uh, 90 days, apparently. <laughs> Correct. And I would go visit the house, and uh, we would strategize and try to think of ways to uh, turn it around. And uh, this is very uh, strong words, but with leadership comes a better office, but it also comes with enormous responsibilities. And you, at some point as a leader, and I've been a leader in the majority, uh, infrequently in, in the minority, but you have to say, okay, it's time to get down to business. Not because, because of what's happening there, but also what's happening out in Montana, where people are looking at us saying, let's get down to business. And I was really struggling with that um, in our discussions with the leadership in the House. And I probably shouldn't say that. I, they, I respect them as people, but they needed to take reins before we continue to waste the whole session. So when some of those bills passed over to the Senate, mm -hmm. Carol Williams, who was the minority leader, and myself, we sat down and had a talk with uh, the Senate leadership. We'd all worked together before, and uh, we laid out our cards. And uh, I think that some of the bills ended up being killed in committee. Some of the bills uh, had to go forward to the floor for more media purposes. But overall, uh, we couldn't stop it. 
but uh, it was um, it was discouraging. And I will commit to the folks in Montana when you elect me, your U.S. House of Representatives person. I am going to go there to problem solve. I am not going to go there to get all cut up in the drama of media mm. because I don't need that. That's not why I'm in politics. I don't care. I, as folks who work around me know that every time my name or my picture's in the newspaper, I'm the last person to look at it. <laughs> so back to the session. Uh, it was disappointing. A couple of initiatives that we thought would go through, like the bonding bill. Hello. Which was a... A no-brainer, as my young kids would say. Yeah, not only a no-brainer, but supported by uh, the Babcocks. And, you know, this is Betty Babcock's bill and why the Republicans wouldn't support that. And uh, coming from a Republican family, there were so many of us that were, you know, I see them all the time and they're going, we don't know why it's not passing. We don't know what's going on there. It it was bizarre. And I I think just as now it's happening in the U.S. House, during that legislative session, our focus should have been fairly narrow on budget issues and jobs in the economy and not get involved in fringe issues. And unfortunately, that's what we see in the U.S. House now. Mm-hmm. Instead of focusing on jobs in the economy, there are all these fringe issues. Yeah, they passed the bill to repeal health care 30 times. <laughs> it's like, what? And we had a prelude of it in the 2011 session because there were several bills that uh, were offered to uh, stop in its tracks, the health care reform bill. Mm-hmm. And what I feel is important to point out is that knowing that there was going to be a court case, but we wasted opportunity in the 2011 session to put in some to to put into play some of the statutory requirements so that went now as the Supreme Court's made its decision that we could have a made in Montana solution. Right. There is some flexibility in that piece of legislation. So we gave up the opportunity for a made in Montana, and there were several bills where I share with my colleagues that now a Montanan, if they have any problems, they're going to have to dial 1-800-FEDERAL-GOVERNMENT instead of contacting a Montana insurance commissioner or uh, 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 a Montana entity that would have been involved. And it just, there was no purpose behind it. It was more just... Statement after statement after statement, and uh, we don't need that in politics or policy making. We just need to focus on what's important to everyday folks. Right. There was a lot of grandstanding that went on in the last session. Um, part of the reason that we do this, that I do the show, is because the last session. Actually, you know what? All the reason I do the show is because of the last session. I thought it was so contentious and um, vile in many cases, and. Um, I've made it through most uh, most of the shows recently without mentioning House Bill 516, but it is really the reason that I um, was done with, you know, I'd, I'd been around politics my entire life, but I was done with not being directly involved. Um, I had stepped away and, and kind of let things go on their own because I get a little angry and a little loud, and <laughs> people who know me just go, he's obnoxious. And... Uh, but the last session was so bad that I just had to step up and, and be me in front of everybody and start yelling at people for being stupid. So um, the fact that you made it through it <laughs> and came out of it relatively unscathed and still want to be involved in politics is astounding to me, and I'm, I applaud you for that. Uh, with all the stuff that's happened in Montana in the, I guess, 16 years that you've been involved with um, the state legislature. Did you ever think about running for any of the the statewide offices, like Secretary of State or any of those? Or is this just 
this is the logical next step for you because of how you deal with politics. I think it, it is the logical next step for me. It, we always have this saying in the uh, Montana legislature, <clears throat> if it's not broken, you don't fix it, or is this a solution in search of a problem? And I think right now, as I look at leadership across the state, I mean, seven out of eight statewides are Democrats. I think they're doing a great uh, job. Um, frankly, we're all, you know, I, I think it's a good example that Democrats uh, come in very different uh shapes in terms of their policies. Not everyone is, there. there's no sort of lockstep march among the Democrats. It's a, a broad 10, and I think that the current leadership exemplifies this. The running for the open U.S. House seat, sure, it's, it's an opportunity because it's an open seat, and I am not a millionaire. I, uh, and had I not had positive experiences in retail politics, I, I, I knew that this would that money would be involved for this open U.S. House seat, but uh, I knew that I, I could bring to it experience, and not only experience in campaigning, but experience in getting things done. And so it did seem um, to be a, a logical next step for me. I've worked on legislative races across the state, so the leap, which is significant to a statewide run, uh, wasn't as dramatic as people may think. Mm. I, I was uh, co-chair of a uh, the what's called the Montana Democratic Legislative Leadership Committee for three of my sessions, and it was an opportunity for me to go out to communities across the state and uh, help fellow Democratic uh, candidates uh, get elected. And I think that that's been very helpful. The other thing is people may not know, and I'm not, is that I, because I've been in the Montana legislature for a while and recognized as a leader, not just among the Democrats, but some of the initiatives that I've past uh, have been involved in national or regional organizations. I'm on the executive board of the council state governments. I'm a chair of one of the subcommittees of the council state governments West Trend. I was Montana's representative on a, a, a regional Canadian Northwestern United States uh, initiative for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And that has given me some exposure to national policy making and I, I have, uh, I feel comfortable in that arena in terms of uh, the skill sets that I use back in Montana and real importantly the skill sets I use back in my own district. Uh, and so I thought that that would be something that would help me. I'm a witchy commissioner for uh, Montana, which is the Western Interstate Commission on Higher Education. There are 13 states represented. And uh, things like that that I don't necessarily talk about, but have, I think, given me also a, a good background and some positive experiences that will help in this U.S. House seat. And those are basically bipartisan initiatives. So um, I am definitely used to working uh, with uh, folks with very different viewpoints. Hmm, very cool. So um, you're going into, I'm going to go with your getting elected. Sure. Um, <laughs> when you go into the House, the House is obviously, it's 435 people, is that right? 438? I don't know. It's a ton of people. And we only have one representative there. You've got the entire state of Montana. And you're going to be low man on the totem pole when you go in because you're not part of a coalition that, you know, it's not like California where they send 82 people or however many they have. 
it's a completely ridiculous number as well. How do you go in and, and start building those relationships to to really bring Montana up to the level? Because one thing that, that drives me nuts, I don't understand why Denny gave up the seat, but I really don't understand why anybody would give up seniority when they don't have to. And, and um, the way our politics is structured, seniority is so important to get anything done. How are you going to, how do you think you'll be effective, you know, without that? Um, I, obviously, you're very dynamic and you know how to work across the aisle, but are you worried that you're going to be ignored because you're just one vote from Montana? No, I, I really feel just it's almost the opposite. Really? First of all, I think that my legislative experience will be helpful in terms of how you, as someone jokingly said, you won't have to be told which door to open. Certainly it's different in Washington, and I'm not naive. I think I will go there with the perspective that... Uh, Folks back home in Montana really care about someone who's going to work on breaking the gridlock. And it's going to be individual to individual. In some ways, because I won't be part of a large delegation, I will have a lot of, uh, I won't say freedom, but opportunity to represent Montana, uh, the real Montana, and start you know, finding people who may have similar views, not on all issues, but on particular issues. And I've learned that in the legislature that, uh, that you, know, you may not agree with people on a majority of their issues, but typically you can find some type of potential to collaborate. Hmm. And I, I want to point out that folks say, oh, that means you're going to abdicate your, your core values. No, not at all. You just try to find opportunities where you can collaborate. And if you can, that's great. If you can't, you just uh, don't worry about it. So in some ways, um, I've spoken with folks who are members of larger delegations, and they say, oh, you know, in some ways you're going to have a great opportunity. You're not going to have a power block, but then again, you're going to have the opportunity to speak with folks uh, both within the caucus and beyond the caucus uh, to try to find some cooperation. Mm -hmm. And I think that just having that perspective and that determination is something that has helped me throughout my whole entire life. When the consequences don't, when the situation doesn't look like there can be any kind of uh, positive outcome, I not only in my legislative work, but in my community work and in my uh, personal family life, I have brought that perspective. So it's not a, an election year perspective. It's something that I've always, uh, I've just always been a champion of. I mean, you know, I, I came from a family that was first-generation Americans. No one went to college, didn't have the funding to go to college, but I wanted to go. I found a way, you know, applied for every scholarship under the sun, had lots of student loans, but uh, was able to do it. And it's just, you know, I know that that's what a lot of people are doing now, but it's just something that if I'm determined to do something, I will put every ounce of energy and uh, strategy into getting it done. That's cool. So when you were growing up, did you see yourself in politics at all? Yes and no. Uh, I will be really candid. My dad ended it. My dad was a very blue-collar, working-class person. And uh, he, uh, I, I don't remember what the circumstance, got involved in a, a local issue and uh, ran for city council mm -hmm. and was uh, on the city council for many years, and uh, he uh, jokingly always had aspirations to run for something higher, but it just didn't work out. He uh, was a, 
uh, union house painter, hard worker, but uh, really couldn't take the time away to go beyond uh, his involvement in city politics. But he was a real affable guy and just really down to earth. And it was uh, sort of the, the voice of the working class on the city council and maybe just uh, you see, I see that and I saw the, the positive things that he got done. And I laugh because it's so different now. I mean, as kids, we used to sort of hand paint these signs. You know, there was no <laughs> calling up and ordering signs. But my mom also, for some reason, uh, they just both have always been really committed to volunteerism. It's something that I saw at uh, a young age. And it's, you know, my mom worked. I mean, she was a working mom, but also was involved in uh, things at school and stuff like that. So it's just uh, maybe uh, by osmosis I got the, the bug to uh, <laughs> not only uh, go out and try to fix things, but also uh, with that, you know, I, I will admit, uh, it, it takes a little bit of confidence to feel that you do have an answer, and <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to deny that. Some of my, uh, when I feel something is right or needs to be, uh, is not fair or needs to be addressed, uh, I, it, it's just ingrained in me to, you know, speak out my opinion and, and try to get it changed. Yeah. So uh, that's, it, I, I always think it's interesting how people get involved in, in politics, osmosis, falling into it, or I've met a couple of people that are like, no, I always knew I wanted to do this. And those people are, <laughs> they're definitely interesting. Some of them are really great. Some of them are really scary. Um, I grew up around politics. Oh, I grew up in Helena and, you know, this town is politics through and through. And it's always interesting to me to see these people that come into town and don't really expect politics to be as big as it is. And then once they become a part of it and they they get good at it and they start enjoying it, you see there's this, um, some of them change, but some of them actually, they bloom into really, really cool people. So it's it's nice to see that that happened for you. Yeah, no, and I've, I've enjoyed, uh, I've made some great friendships during my legislative uh, tenure, and I've also learned a lot. Pivoting back to the uh, primary, you know, it was it was never really a contentious primary. We uh, we all learned a lot from each other, and uh, but I never felt that I was personally running against any of those people. I was I try to keep the perspective. I was running for uh, the Democratic nomination. Right. Um, th that was actually, um, I think you told me that actually when I met you at the forum. And what was funny, when everybody was up there, you were like, we're about to go in and we're all going to say the same thing seven times. <laughs> it's like, eh, it's true. You all had you know, you, the great perspective uh -huh. of um, you know, what it was that you were being asked. Um, would you have liked to have had more debates? Or, or was the forum a better, you know, for the primary, was the forum a better function for that? I, I think the forums um, may resulted in it being less contentious. Mm. I do think that it it might have been worthwhile at one point to have uh, to allow us to ask questions of each other uh, because there were some things that I might want to have commented on or elaborated on or something like that. But you know, it is what it is, and I do look forward to actually debating. Uh, the Republican nominee, Steve Daines. I think that's critical, not 
just to make my case. But I think this race has been somewhat under the radar screen. And Montanans have said to me as I travel around the state, well, are you guys going to debate? The newspaper's not covering anything. What, you know, when are you going to have a, a, some type of discussion or forum? And I think that that's an important part of the democratic process is to publicly talk about where you stand on issues. Have you guys scheduled debates? We uh, are thinking, I think there's going to be one in October that uh, that's over in Billings. There are a couple of others that are being kicked around. Cool. Well, hey, I'll, I'll put this out there. If you guys want to do it and you need a forum, I'll be happy to help in any way. Okay, so. that's great. I, I think that, uh, I don't think I know that we were looking to, um, we, Steve and I sat down and had a cup of coffee and talked about them and we were really um, on the same page for what we wanted. We want some kind of uh, third-party group to, to help be the organize them and then you know talk to folks get some agreement on moderators uh, however I'm totally open to about any type of uh, circumstance because uh, it's important for people to have a choice I mean I don't want people to define me by some 30 minute I mean sorry 30 second soundbite uh, on TV yeah and and that's unfortunate what we deal with in a lot of politics because TV just has so little time that, you know, it's whatever soundbite makes it on the news. Right. That's how everybody gets defined. And it, it works both for and against people all the time. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's why I like traveling around the state as much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I put on thousands of miles, parades, picnics, and powwows. And uh, I like that. I mean, I want people to meet me, shake my hand, ask me questions. You know, that's what's going to define me because, uh, and that's what people need to know. Hmm. I've, and that's, you know, that's Kim Gill and that's the way, that's the way I'm in, if this is a game, then that's the way I'm in the game. And I know there are people who don't agree with me and, and uh, that's always going to be the case. Yeah. Have you run into a lot of people that are, um, uh, what's the nice way of putting this, very black and white with their issues? And, and I, I asked this, you know, you're kind of dismissive of the whole thing, you know, somebody who has one issue, but I am that one issue voter and, and it, lately, and it's kind of bizarre to me that I am. But have you run into a lot of people that are just unwilling to believe that you have common ground with others in Montana, or are we getting past that? Because that's what I think we ran into at the last session. I think, I don't think, what I feel is that uh, because of the 2011 legislative session being so contentious that typical voters, most voters, are trying, are are asking me about multiple questions. There are always going to be single issue voters on each extreme, Mm -hmm. uh, the far left and the far right. I I would estimate that would be probably uh, 10 to 15 percent of voters on each side are single issue, and then there, there, there are varying uh, degrees of gray in that. I think independent voters are not single issue at this point, except for they want someone who's going to uh, get something done. And my track record of results is something that I feel is important for people to know about because I haven't just had a great idea or adhered to some tenant of ideology. I've actually 
been able to take an idea and put it into practice or into policy. And that's not just in the legislative. I worked in economic development for many, many years, and that is very much boots on the ground, working on the issues uh, with small businesses, with um, nonprofits on how do you build businesses, how do you uh, create jobs, how do you grow jobs, how do you redirect a business so it can be more profitable. I mean, that is a kind of practical experience with mainly small businesses, which are the backbone of this state that I bring with me. So it's not just in the policymaking mm -hmm. arena. I've done it in my professional career. Very cool. So what are the big issues that are uh, facing Montanans today that they're at least communicating to you? What are the big ones? I think the issue of jobs in the economy. That's the umbrella issue, but not but. However, uh, when you talk about jobs in the economy, you have to look at the foundations of what makes for a good economy and jobs here in Montana. And those are things that are, have I've always been involved with. Education. Um, in, by 2018, 62% of the jobs in Montana will require some type of post-secondary education or training. So our commitment not only to K-12, through which is primarily a state issue, but higher education and the funding for uh, student loans, Pell Grants, we need to work to make sure that more Montanans, including adult learners, folks who, who went to college for a year, got a job, got married, whatever, and now that they have an opportunity to come back into the post-secondary education, get a certificate, get a two-year degree, or complete their degree, because that is going to be key to Montana's ability to attract and sustain the types of businesses that require this uh, very globally determined skill set in the future. And that I don't mean to be mumbo-jumbo, but education is one of the building blocks of um, a good economy and creating good-paying jobs in Montana. The other thing is infrastructure. It's no longer just about a good highway system. It's about broadband. It's about technology. It's about internet speeds. And we know in our rural-urban state that going forward with that infrastructure is really key. We were just up at the Montana Telecommunications, and we do. There is a federal role in the infrastructure because they provide some subsidized loans and opportunities for those rural companies to make sure that their customers have access or the best or have access to the best technology, whether it's uh, you know wireless or broadband or whatever. And that's going to help in our economy. I mean, we have some great small businesses uh, that are operating in out of the major urban areas in Montana, and they need that to grow. I mean, like Red Ants Pants and White Sulphur Spring or a couple of other ones. And uh, so the other building blocks of the economy is making sure that we have a tax system that is fair and, and uh, doesn't shift the responsibility onto working class and middle class families because they're the folks who are going to be helping their kids or helping themselves go back and get a better education. And I think that that is key to the competitiveness uh, in Montana. We have a good business environment in Montana. The Chamber of Commerce ranked it eighth uh, in 2011. And sometimes what I've been hearing lately is you'd think that we were dead last in everything, and that just simply is not true. Oh. So I think good-paying jobs, labor unions are an important part of that. They're great sources for training and for high skill sets. Energy is another key issue. Right now, 
uh, people are concerned. Some people don't want this type of energy. My attitude is that uh, let's look at it in the short term and the long term. Uh, renewables in the longer term have an important role. In the short term, we have uh, Montana has some access to traditional resources, and uh, instead of fighting each other, let's figure out how we can um, be a better service to affordable energy in Montana and beyond. Yeah, um, energy is an interesting one. I thought it was funny. I uh, was on Twitter this last week, and somebody posted something, and there was a an article or a letter to the editor where somebody was complaining about how ugly wind farms were. And they just posted, yeah, wind farms are ugly, but they posted a picture of a Derrick Field. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, eh, energy's always ugly. Um, so you're from Billings. Uh, Montana has this reputation, and I perpetuate it, mm, guilty, of it, uh, being two states in one border. Uh, the western half of the state acts differently than the eastern half of the state. And... Um, how has that been the case in a lot of what you've dealt with in this campaign? I know you dealt with that obviously in the legislature because we, well, the last session, prime example of that. But um, is that going away at the level you're at with this campaign, or? I think it depends upon the issue. Mm. Certainly, um, I like to say that people are uh, different perspective, and what we just talked about in terms of energy is. Perhaps one of those is is not perhaps is one of those issues where people come at it from a very different perspective, uh, and it's a, a balancing act, and that's why I like to say that uh, you know we need to look at all of Montana's energy resources, and you know the the eastern Montana versus western Montana, uh, when you have oil and gas resources in your backyard. Uh, it's very clear that folks in eastern Montana see that after some very lean years as an opportunity to uh, boost their own local economies. However, one thing we all do share is that we want to do things balanced and responsibly, and that may stem from our collective uh, love of the outdoors. So I feel that while people may have different viewpoints on this energy issue, they basically do share the common concern that um, energy development be responsible and balanced and look to the long term. And we were just up in the Bakken, and I heard that from folks. And, uh, you know, they want to make sure that when we do this, uh, when we're doing the oil and gas development there, that uh, their quality of living in their communities are not... Uh, permanently damaged. We jokingly called it an opportunity and a threat. So while there are differences perhaps initially, what binds us together is um, our concern for the quality of living that we enjoy in Montana, particularly sports people who are outdoors folks. You'll find a corporate executive standing, uh, going hunting with uh, a blue-collar uh, union member, and uh, they both want to make sure that there's public access and that their favorite areas to recreate are still available to them. And so you've got all this uh, history with the legislature and you want to do all these great things for the state and you're diving into D.C. <laughs> um, it's a dangerous place and you're not going to be around Montana. How are you going to deal with that? I mean, we have this wonderful state that recharges you. You get to go outside and, you know, look out the window. It's beautiful. And then you're going to go to D.C.? Well, and you, <sighs> you know, you do come home, and uh, hopefully you'll have some staff members that are Montanans. The other thing is, is that in the many times I've been in leadership in the Montana legislature, 
I have developed a real, um, I have a steel rod down my back. I mean, I, I just, I think people who know me, even from some of the issues I've been involved in locally, is that uh, you can't take any of this personally. And maybe that's something that a woman offers to this, is that we, um, you know, not to go stereotype, but, you know, we are considered problem solvers and sometimes in the most contentious of times can take it down a notch. And uh, that maybe that's, that's something that's lacking right now in the U.S. House. And if I can attempt to offer that, I, I can't help but think after this next election that uh, there, some other folks around this country are, are wanting to send someone more based on the person than the political affiliation. It is going to be tough, and it's not going to take, it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. We saw a little bit of it happening in the U.S. Senate over the last couple of weeks as the clock was ticking about the fiscal cliff. And I'm, I know that it may not be on, there'll be a hundred issues I may work on, and it only may happen in one issue. Uh, but I think a lot of it is also people don't fully, uh, may not, under, not understand, but appreciate or know that a lot of the work that you do is less about policy, but helping with agencies and regulations and those types of things. Hmm. So um, knowing that education obviously is, is a big issue for you, what are some of the other issues that you're coming up against? Well, it's jobs, education, energy, which I think all go hand in hand for making sure that we can bring back to Montana good paying uh, jobs. You know, we need to focus on jobs, job training, and I do that in my own professional work. Right now, I, for the last four or five years, I've run a job training and development program out of MSU Billings, and that's an important component. The other thing is we need to worry, uh, we need to think about our long-term long budgeting process. However, we cannot lose sight that one of the great things that has helped our economy in the past is investment in innovation and research. And just that perspective is very, very important not to lose sight of. And some of those federal programs that have been on the chopping block, it's like cutting off your nose to spite yourself. As we sit here in this room today, I am surrounded by at least 10 pieces of high-tech equipment that I that I don't know the names of. But that is... <laughs> That's okay. It's all my equipment. I don't right. know their names either. <laughs> However, that is an important component. That innovation, that research that goes into moving, moving the U.S. ahead and Montana. You are operating a small business, probably with just two or three folks helping you. And this technology, which is cutting edge, is allowing you to not only work probably across Montana and the United States, but allowing you to be competitive with folks across the world. And that commitment to investing in innovation is something that I'm concerned that the U.S. policymakers have lost their focus on. Hmm. That's uh, critical. Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so what would you tell somebody that's thinking about going into politics or thinking that they, that they can't make a difference and, unless they're in politics? Well, it's easier to perhaps fix things from the inside than being on the outside throwing stones. So when people call me and they're upset about something, and I, I really, during my legislative career, got, I mean, it, I could have made it full-time because I was the chair of my neighborhood task force. I was the chair of the parks board. I tell them that uh, come to a meeting, express your opinion. I always urge people to express it in um, a less adversarial way. 
And um, well, that's what I should do. Huh? <laughs> and we have neighborhood task force. You know, I think all politics basically are local. They start locally. And so I, I, if someone's interested in running for the legislature, I will normally say to them, before you do that, you might want to get go to your neighborhood task force, uh, not to show up and be counted, but also to get an idea of what the issues are that are germane to your own neighborhood and stuff like that. So I know a lot of people took a different pathway. They've been involved in primarily partisan issues. I just did it through the community route. And maybe that resonated with people more. The thing is, you got to have a thick skin and you have to try to focus on disagreeing with folks without being disagreeable. And, uh, you know, there are times when that can happen. Of course, there were times last session as a minority whip, I would get up and ask people on the other side of the aisle, unfortunately no longer to lecture us because that really wasn't doing any, we weren't advancing the issue and uh, sort of name calling uh, doesn't really achieve much, but there is a role where you need to draw the line in the sand and make sure people know how you feel. So I tell people that uh, you need to be strong in your convictions but not totally inflexible. And don't, you need to go in it, I mean it's not going to get you uh, there's no fame and glory, and certainly in Montana in the legislature, there's no uh, financial remuner- remuneration that you can take to the bank. <laughs> the only thing you can do is uh, along the way you get some great home-cooked meals and people drop off plates of cookies. But at the end of the day, you can say at least you try to make a difference. And that's what I tell not just voters, but I tell my kids is that if you don't try, you never know whether you can accomplish something. So uh, your campaign's going well? My campaign is going uh, very well. I'm really fortunate that uh, we're traveling around the state. Very good receptivity. Uh, we are raising money. A little bit more challenging just because all the, all, there's so many races there. And let's face it, Montanans, uh, you know, we've, we, like the rest of the nation, are struggling uh, financially or economically. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, it, the race is wide open. Uh, there, uh, this is an open seat, and some third-party polling indicates that, uh, particularly for my this race, my race is that there are undecideds. And what I want to do is get out and meet every single one of those undecideds. And I think after a couple of discussions, that I can uh, show them that Team Gillen is the way to go for 2013, because we need, uh, I think, my style of being uh, in uh, politics to help break the gridlock back in the Washington, D.C. No, I, I, I wish you all the best. I think that's awesome. I, I'm so impressed with anybody who's willing to go out there and run because there's so much mud that gets slung around. It's, it's distressing. So let's really quick give everybody a uh, how to contact you. You have your website, which is kimgillen.com, yes? It's gillenforcongress.com. Gillenforcongress.com. It's G-I-L-L-A-N-F-O-R, Congress. We didn't take any shortcuts there. <laughs> Because we speak English, not bingo. And then uh, you have a Twitter and Facebook. Right. And we'll include links to those, but your Twitter account is? I don't know right now. At King, at King Gillen, correct? Okay. And uh, the Facebook page, nobody ever knows those URLs, but we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, you have an, a contribution page on your website. Right. And uh, we'll put a link to uh, the volunteer page. If those of you who are thinking that politics does not involve you, it does. Um, while Montana has a citizen legislature, the most important part of politics is your vote and your help. 
So please, if you want to volunteer for any of the candidates, go do so. It's always a good thing to do. We'll have a link to your volunteer page. And uh, anything else you want to tell people? You know, Kim Gillen is all about results. It's serious to leadership that delivers in tough times. That's my track record. That's my commitment. It's not about rhetoric. People can't live their life by jingles or little forward uh pithy statements. And uh, I, I think it's important that people face the reality that we've got some tough issues to tackle in Washington, D.C. We need to send tough, experienced, and effective people there. And that is what I offer Montanans, whether they're urban, rural, conservative, liberal, is that uh, Gillen gets it done. Very cool. Well, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for taking time out of your very hectic day to do this. I appreciate it very much. And everybody, we'll see you next week. Great to be here. 